Welcome everyone to Faith and Purpose Podcast. Each episode of this podcast contains the personal testimony of an ordinary person transformed by an extraordinary God. My name is Kaylin and I'm here to introduce this podcast for my friend Jesse Duke. Jesse is a husband, father, author, life recovery guide, lay counselor, and small group leader, but his most important role is disciple. As a disciple of Jesus, Jesse created this podcast to help other believers tell their faith stories. We'll be hearing the personal testimonies of all sorts of people who have one thing in common. Jesus has transformed their lives. Jesus used parables because he created us to learn best through story. And as we listen to how God has worked in others' lives, we find encouragement and inspiration for our own faith walk. Whether you are already a believer or just a curious seeker, we believe that as you listen to these stories, you will be encouraged on your own faith journey. We are sure that God can speak to you through one of these episodes and that you will see that our Heavenly Father truly works all things together for our good when we simply love and trust Him. If you are currently going through a trial, we believe that you will come to see that your troubles, heartbreaks, and failures are not gravestones, but stepping stones into new life in Christ. Here's Jesse with today's guest. Welcome, everybody, to the Faith and Purpose podcast. Today we have my friend Keith Darnell from Woodruff, South Carolina. Welcome, Keith. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's good to be here. Well, tell us your story. What what is your what's your life been about? My life has been a I would say a fairground, lots of different rides, <laughs> lots of different activities, experiences. I uh, grew up in Marietta, South Carolina. My dad was the f- in a family where we had loggers. We cut put wood. They did all kinds of different work. And they also were bootleggers, moonshiners. And my dad was a runner in the moonshiners for a long while, which later on led him into racing. So grew up in this family. It was a great family in Marietta, South Carolina. It's up in uh, the upper part of, of South Carolina, above Travel's Rest, in the Greenville County area. When I was, I guess, five years old, uh, my dad had been to jail for bootlegging and, and, and assault and battery and all kind of crazy stuff. And when he got out of jail, they uh, put him on probation. So he went to driving a truck. Uh, and so he, he was gone for long periods of time. Then he landed a job at Engineer Products. I'm just telling you this to get us to the beginning of my story where Christ begins to impact my life. So my dad gets a job with a company in Greenville, putting up storage racks and installing conveyor systems. And so now he's gone for two weeks, three weeks at a time out of state. And so we get to see him every now and then on the weekends. And during racing season, he would come in and fix the car on Friday, race on Saturday. And Sunday would be the family day and back out Sunday night or Monday morning. So during these periods of time, he was gone. My uncle began to invite us to go to church. There was a church up in, up in 
Marietta called Marietta First Baptist. And they began to, uh, he began to attend that church and he wanted us boys to go with him because he knew we needed to be in church. He began to realize the need for us to be in church. And so he started taking us to church with him. So one weekend, my dad comes home. I don't know the dates or times. I just know my dad came in on a weekend and my uncle said, hey, I'm coming to pick those boys up Sunday morning, take them to church. And he and my dad are like best friends. So it's not like this was intrusive. It was like doing what? And my dad said, no, Sunday's my only day with the boys. So we, we spend that day together. He said, okay, I just wanted to offer the opportunity. Well, we boys, according to my dad, we just bugged the hound out of him because we enjoyed going to church. Children's church at Merida First was a blast. And it still is to the day, if I understand correctly. <laughs> so anyway, that church put a priority on kids' ministry, and that got us wanting to be there. So we started begging, and finally my dad called said, all right, come on and get them. And then he said he waited around a few minutes. He said, wait a minute. I need to go find out what is going on up there that makes my kids want to go to that church. So my dad called him back and said, hey, if they go to church, then I'll go to church with them. So they took us to church. And that was the beginning step that the Lord used to get my dad where he could hear the gospel. So the lead pastor at that point was absent. And there was a pastor called Bill Cashin, who is a missionary, retired, I believe, today. But he's always on mission. He's a great guy, great servant of the Lord. He was a student at college, a ministerial student. Came to Marietta first, and the preacher said, Billy, you got your guns loaded? He said, yes, sir. That means ready to preach. And so Billy just went up, you know, no ready, no prep, just went up to preach, got there and preached the gospel. And my dad said something happened to him during that service. He ran down the aisle. He was in the balcony, came all the way down, and went to the front and accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And so I'm probably six years old at this point in my life. But I can remember thinking, this is amazing. We get to go to church all the time. And my daddy just got saved. And my mom got involved in church. And the church built a new building, a new worship center, new Sunday school new area. It's old rock church that we've been going to. They tore it down eventually. And so anyway, we I spent my entire life from that point on in church. My dad became a deacon. Sunday school teacher, student department leader. My mom became church secretary. She led in the WMU. So my parents got invested in church. And my dad's testimony was amazing because throughout his life, he began to live his life on mission trips and always finding ways to do lay renewals and, and go out. He loved to go out and canvas communities. So his role model for me growing up through high school was pretty impressive. But in high school, I had, the thing is, when I was about seven or eight, I got to a place where everybody in my church, all my, in my family, was going down and being baptized. So I was just curious, ignorant of the word of God, ignorant of the truth of what was going on. I wanted to be baptized too. Everybody else was getting baptized. So I went over to get baptized. Well, the pastor sent me back to talk to my parents. And I guess they didn't understand what they needed to say. But from that day till I was 18, no one ever 
ever just sit down with me and talk through my experience and share the gospel with me. No, and the pastor never shared up at the front, never prayed with me, never never shared with me what I, the steps I needed to take to make sure that I understood that I was accepting Christ as my Lord, not just getting a salvation security, you know, he was going to be my Lord. No one ever said that. Now, and he probably thought that my parents did, but no one understood what to do at that point in my life. And, and so as I grew up, I was real rebellious because I was having to go to church all the time. And so church was like, it was like coming in, you know, you had to be in 11 o'clock every night. So church was like being in 11 o'clock every night, something you had to do. So I grew up in church. And it was probably good because I got the influence of church. I have a Bible. I wish I had it with me this morning. I just got thought of it. My family has used it in their weddings. I have a Bible that I got when I was uh, six years old in Crusaders, which is a program of the Southern Baptist Convention of the RAs. And I was in Sunday school one morning and realized that all the other guys in my Crusader class had their Bibles in church. And we would have to open and read, find verses and find scripture. And I couldn't find none of that. But I noticed all their Bibles looked worn and wrinkled and, 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 and was, was flared out at the edges. Mine was still gold stamped crisp. I was embarrassed. I went home that day and took my little Bible and I wrinkled every page. I spent an hour. If I spent that much time every day reading the Bible, Wow, I would have understood why I needed to read it. But I wrinkled it because, see, I was a poser. Yeah. And I learned to pose as a Christian. People say, hey, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I was baptized when I was eight years old or seven years old. You know, and I, I would always tell people that. So I learned to pretend to be a Christian all those years. And so I graduated high school. Now, in high school, I was in a lot of trouble. I was, I was drinking, using profanity all the time. And had become sexually active when I was like 14. And so I, a lot of that stuff in my life had dominated my life. And had, had I, I would say, it's like I had indulged my body. So my body craved those things. And food was a big craving. So all those things that I loved in my life, I had made them into cravings. And so <clears throat> when I graduated high school, I basically was just going to go to work. So for two years, I went to work in my dad's business and uh, went all over the country working and man, had the best of life. For a young guy my age, I was making a lot of money and didn't know what to do. I was blowing it as I was making it on anything I could blow it on. Partying, playing, whatever. So one thing I had to stay connected, even though I had moved out of my home, my mom and I got I moved out of my home when I was 18 because I was rebellious. And I moved in with my youth pastor, the youth pastor at our church. Crazy. But, and he stayed on me all the time about things, trying to get me to realize the reality of what was. But what had happened up until I was 18, or what happened when I was 18 is my senior year youth trip, and I kind of had that, but I'm going back to it. My senior year, we did a church camp. And instead of doing the traditional kind of stuff, this new guy we hired from South Carolina, he's passed on now. He came and he took us to Sumter 
to this little state South Carolina park camp and didn't even have hot water in the boys' dorm area. And so in the boys' bathhouse. So we had to run water hoses to take showers. That's how bad it was. So anyway, it was way out there. And from being up in the upstate, I'd never seen the horse flies and experienced mosquitoes and stuff like they had in Sumter. And the Air Force base is not far from there. Far from there. So when they would drop bombs on the practice fields, you could feel the vibration <laughs> coming through the water when you had a swim. Like, wow, this is weird. You know, it's like, whoa, whoa. And I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> and so we experienced a lot of things we never experienced. And so I had took my girlfriend. The only reason I really went, my dad was cooking, my grandmother was cooking, and my girlfriend was gone. So at the time, I wanted to go because my girlfriend was going to be there. And my intentions that were not holy or spiritual at all. My intentions was physical and because it was a have-to situation. My dad didn't leave me a lot of options. It was like my last chance. I guess his last chance to help me see the light. So I'm at this camp, and all week I did what I wanted to do. My Aunt Rachel was there. She's passed on me with Lord Ted. She was a Sunday school teacher in the, in the youth her whole life that I remember when she accepted Christ, she began to teach girls in Sunday school for years. But she was always the one that called us up. She never got married. And she was about four foot six. She'd call us up. She'd find out how we were doing. She'd see you doing something wrong. She'd get on you about it. So that week, she was at camp too. All she did, I believe, was follow me around and call me out when I was somewhere I wasn't supposed to be. <laughs> Whenever I get somewhere, that little girl, get out of her back there. You ain't supposed to be down there. It was on and on that way the whole week. I mean, she would nag me until I just, oh, about to just I'd scream at her. But I knew I had to respect her because that was my dad's sister. And if I disrespected her, I'd be in trouble. So I had a lot of respect and fear for my dad because he was a godly man, but he knew how to bring down the wrath if he had to. So anyway, on Thursday night of that week, they did a passion play. Some college students uh, from North Greenville came down, and they did a passion-type play where where uh, Jesus was uh, tried and crucified, and, and I saw that. And I'd really never seen it in that likeness, nor did I have I ever heard the gospel told in a narrated story the way they told it that night. And it it etched its way into my heart. I had to get up and kind of move away from everybody. And I saw other people that night before we went to bed kind of crying and, 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 and praying and doing things emotionally. And I wasn't emotional. I was like, you know, why, why are these guys crying? I know that was impressive, but that wasn't, nobody got hurt. There wasn't no pain for us. Why in the world are we crying? So I didn't understand that. It sounds silly, but I'm just giving it to you the way it was. But then the next morning, I go to our group meeting my youth pastor, Mike, gets up and he starts to share his testimony. And he talks about how his life was before Christ. And, and the crazy thing was his life before Christ sounded like my life right then. All the desires and, and things he was seeking in his life, I was seeking in my life. And none of it was good. And he said that was before Christ. He said, and then he had written a song about it. And then he, But he talked about how in the song, how his life was at a desperate end. He didn't want to live any longer. And then he met, then 
somebody had shared the gospel with him and he, and he repented and received Christ in his heart and how God had turned his life around and how his life had a new purpose and new meaning. And I heard all that and I was like, wait a minute, man, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not saved. Nothing about me is saved. Nothing about me is, it, I, I've never even thought about a relationship with Christ. What he's talking about is like, he's like talking to his dad. And I've never even thought about Jesus as my dad. My dad is my dad. But all of a sudden, you know, this year I'm going out for a football team. I'm going to be a senior, I'm going to be a football player. And I'm going to be a defensive lineman. And I'm thinking in my mind, I'm about to cry. Emotions are overcoming me. And I don't want nobody to see me crying. So I walked away from the crowd suddenly and eased down the hill. And uh, my Aunt Rachel didn't follow me. I don't know why, but she didn't. Maybe she did and just didn't come down there. Because when I got down there, there was a bench by the lake where you could sit and fish. And I went down and sat on that bench. And that's where I had my come to Jesus meeting. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I don't know what I did when I was baptized, but I know for a fact that I wasn't saved. I know for a fact if I died today, I would not be with you in eternity. I would be separate for eternity. And, and the wisdom to know how to say that had to come from the Holy Spirit because nothing in me was smart enough to think like that. But I remember those words. And I remember verbally articulating those words out loud, emotionally broken, knowing that I was lost and needed Jesus. And I remember just saying, God, I want to receive you. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want you to be the Lord of my life from this day forward. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I want to be saved. Mm. And that day is the day that I will tell anybody that I was saved. Now, follow that up. That was a great experience. I didn't tell nobody. I got home. Now, my cousin had done the same thing. And I overheard a conversation of two adults that uh, were in church. Uh, one uh, had just gotten saved and uh, was being baptized. I had been baptized. But that next Sunday when we got home, my cousin went up forward and presented herself as a candidate for Christianity and baptism. Now, she was baptized back when we all were. But I overheard two adults on the phone and one of the conversations, one of the statements was made that it just seemed silly that she would go up and be presented to be rebaptized because she'd already been baptized. Why do we need to baptize her again? And so at that point, I thought, well, it's going to be embarrassing if I go tell people that I just got saved. And so I put it, I filed that next conversation of going to be baptized. I filed it away. Two years later, now I'm working for my dad. I am uh, going to camp as a helper, set up, recreation guy. I get to set up recreation for him and all that kind of stuff. My senior year in high school was the best year academically and that I ever had. But I was living it as a believer. Okay. Somewhere toward the end of my senior high school, I got caught up with some guys and, and doing a little bit of partying. But it wasn't the same. There was, a, there was no longer a concern that my parents were going to catch me doing what I shouldn't be doing because I was aware of the fact that God had already caught me. I was under a conviction that I never had before, which further confirms that my 
salvation was at 18, not later on. So as I went on, I still struggled. I was given into peer pressure, and those indulgences were calling my name. Okay, eating was out of control. The eating disorder was out of control. A little bit of drinking, not a lot of drinking. The sexual misconduct, the 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 the, the looking and, and and participating in things I probably shouldn't have been, was always a pressure, a draw, and so that was trying to rule me. But the conviction was overpowering me. I didn't go to church anymore because I had to. I went to church because I wanted to. I wanted to learn. I was way behind. I was way behind where I thought I should have been as 18, living that many years, <clears throat> over almost 20 years in church, excuse me, 10 years in church, and I should have known better than doing some of the things I was doing. So I was struggling with that in my life. And so finally, uh, my second year out of high school, helping at the camp, we were doing the drama. I was in the drama then, helping with it. And man, I, something about it just struck me and I just knew something special was going on. And I felt like a draw into ministry. And I felt like, man, because the pastor said something during the invitation that maybe some of you sitting here, you just feel like there's something that's going on in your life right now. Maybe God's trying to get your attention. He wants you to serve him for the rest of your life. And that, that hit me. Like, that's exactly what I'm trying to figure out. That's what I'm trying to say. And so I went home. I tried to tell my dad, my mom and dad, and my parents were like, look, we, we spent 12 years financing your education. And you've bowed through it away. And I'm like, look, I need to go back to college. They're like, you go to college, you go on your own. You know, we're not going to be part of that, which was justifiable. Listen, I played in school. I was, mm -hmm. I could have been as smart as anybody wanted to be, but I threw it away because I was lazy and, and rebellious and just wanted to do what I had to do to make a passing grade to get through it. And that was evident when I had to go to summer school, take history and English and pass it with a B or not get credit for it my senior year, before my senior year. And I went in and got A's and B's in both. And my mom was like, oh, are you kidding me? So anyway, so they didn't want to invest. So my dad gave me some money. I went in his office at his business. And I said, dad, I feel like God's calling me to ministry. My, the youth pastor and everybody's saying, I need to go to school that they can get me in at North Greenville. And I think I probably need to do that. My dad was like, well, that's great. And so the, the Somebody from North Greenville, I know his his name was Mason Easterly, a great servant in North Greenville all them years. I think he serves at Anderson now. Mason came to my dad's work and tried to share with my dad the importance of getting me in school and how they could help me. And my dad called me back in his office. He said, all right, son, this is what we're going to do. He said, well, you're going to work for me one more year. At the end of that year, if you feel if you still feel called to go to school, then we'll support you. I'll help you do whatever we need to do to get you in school. So one more year, I went to work, traveling on the road, selling equipment, whatever we needed to do. And so nothing changed. My commitment, my, my, my draw, my conviction was stronger that year than ever. My walk with the Lord increased daily. My youth pastor gave me a Bible that I still have to today. It's duct taped together, but it was a Bible I read all the time. And so God... The Lord got my attention, got me on the right path, and I began to head towards that call into ministry. At the end of the year, the end of that year, I'm registering at North Greenville, 
trying to get my finances together. Now look, how am I going to get finances to go to a school like North Grable? Of course, then it was only like $5,500 a year, you know what I'm saying, which was nothing. But to me, it was a lot. Yeah. I was making $300 a week, you know what I'm saying? So to me, it was a lot. My check, my paycheck, I think, was like $275 a week, normal hours, 40-hour week working. I got my confirmation letter and my financial package letter from North Greenville one day. And when I opened it up, it was, I owed exactly $275. <laughs> it's all I owed. They somehow fixed this thing just so that I could get in school. Wow. And so I never have, I never had to ask my parents to pay for my schooling. Now, once I left North Greenville, went to Charleston Southern, and when I graduated college, I had an $1,800 student loan that occurred over the time at North Greenville. And my mom picked that loan up and paid it off for me. So basically, I had one little loan I paid off at Charles Southern. But it was kind of paying itself off because by the time I was a senior, I was getting all kind of money. So I graduated Charles Southern University under the name of Baptist College, Charleston. So I have two diplomas. I tell everybody, that's both my diplomas, all I need. <laughs> anyway, it was me taking those steps. So I left during the summers between between one year and the next in college. I took a job working at a place called Camp Pine Hill in Bennettsville, South Carolina. And I worked for a guy there. His name was Marion Lee. He passed on. His, name, his real name that we called him was Bull Lee, B-U-L-L. Mm. He was a football coach, graduated from Newberry College, football coach, big old rascal, had big old forearms. We called him Popeye Arms, you know. But he was just a great guy, loved the Lord, shared the gospel anywhere and anytime he could. What a great role model. And I remember my first year working with him, he would, he and I would go sit down and he would share a story about walking with Christ. And, and he and I had a great relationship. And he would pray for them, pray together. And so I worked the summers at a summer camp called Camp Pine Hill. As my first year was a counselor slash assistant director. And the rest of my years there was assistant director. Rebecca. I also met my wife there at this camp. And my first year, you know, I fall heads over heels for because I'm just, just crazy. And, and, but I don't know how to respect God's gift because I, Again, my indulgences are bad, and she's not going to put up with that kind of pressure or indulgence or whatever. And so I knew that from the get-go. And plus, she's the perfect person for me to to maybe get some of that out of my system and get my focus back on just having a relationship with the Lord. And so we kind of get together at the end of the first summer. We were to camp, which was in 85. During that year, things didn't, you know, because I was gone, she was gone, absence you know, allowed us to kind of drift in different directions. She had kind of got back with an old guy, old boyfriend, which they eventually got engaged. So the next summer, I'm out. And But, but in my mind, I know there's nobody else I would ever want to be with mm. but her. And so it's a tough situation. So another series of events, the Lord works things in mysterious ways. And I'm not going to go through all those events because it could, it could, Leading people to ask crazy questions. But anyway, series of events took place uh, where my wife had to make some decisions that summer 
because her plan was to get married later on. So they ended up, she called the wedding off and she and I got together at the end of that summer. We began to work through things that next year and began a great relationship. As, but it's just been one of those things at the camp, the last Thursday night of the week, Coach Bully told me and Claire to stay down and put the fire out, which he never, we never did that. We never promoted relationships. That was tough to do when you're working together. We worked at Camp Pioneer for almost five years, and we were dating the whole time, and nobody ever knew we were dating. So he knew, Coach Lee knew that I was going to ask her to marry me that night, and I already laid the whole plan out. So he asked her to stay back, help me put the fire out, and make sure everything was straightened up when we come back. Because like the end of the summer, he wanted to make sure everything was done down there. So we're walking up the road, we're talking. And that summer we had did the master life study. And that was our orientation. I led our counselors through master life. And, you know, the part of that master life deals with man, the cross, talks about man being with man. The other part is talking about man's relationship with God, man's relationship with each other, man's relationship with God. So we built a prayer garden down by a well, and in the middle of that prayer garden, between the benches, we put a heart-shaped bed of rocks, and in the rocks, we embedded a cross-tie cross, built out of cross-ties. It was on the ground. When you walk down there, you see the cross, see the heart shape and the cross, Jesus in your heart. And so that end of the summer, I walked her down to that cross, and I said, we sat down on the cross, and I said, let's just go down here and pray, and Thank the Lord for this great summer because this is where it all began. Me and her prayed sitting on that cross. So we went down there and we sat on the cross and and I told her how God had put her in my life and that I needed her. And so it was all part of my spiritual journey, major part. And so that was on that cross, sitting on those two, on that cross member that I asked her to be my wife. And she said, yes, thank goodness. And so we got engaged at Camp Pine Hill. And so... I tell you that because we got married my last year at Charleston Southern as a student. I was married, living in an apartment with her. I graduated Charleston Southern, and we took the full-time job at Camp Pine Hill. My wife is a school teacher. She, she got a job in Bennettsville, and I was the camp director at Camp Pine Hill, living at camp. And that was in 89. We stayed there until 94. In 94, I felt a call to pastor a church or more toward the pastoral because the thing about camp is it's great in the summer. You can't top it in the summer. There's no spiritual mountains you can ever get to that is high as watching children come to Christ through the summer. But when the kids go home that last week and all the counselors leave and it's just me and Claire, it's a lonely place. And it's like, it'd be like, sitting in a sanctuary of a church and nobody ever comes. Mm. You're just sitting there waiting for the next group and the groups would come. They just wanted you. At that point, you became a facility, a facility caretaker at mm. the camp. And, and so I didn't understand. I was too young to understand what I needed to do spiritually to make it work. And so I was doing work because the camp couldn't pay us a lot. So I was offsetting my, my pay at camp with other work and, doing some work for my dad still on the road that was anywhere close so I could drive to and get home in a day. And so camp was fun. 
we started hiring our counselors in January, but by the time summer came, we were ready to go and boom. And then you had that letdown at the end of August. And it was like, oh. And so you had a whole three, four months of just trying to figure things out. And I'm not built for that. I'm built for a continuous, something's got to be happening in my life. I don't mm. want this sitting back waiting or being idle. We were very active in our churches. Matter of fact, I was a, a deacon at the church we attended in Bennettsville. But I also took the job as the interim pastor of a church, Bruton Fort Baptist Church in Bennettsville, which was the first church. The chairman of deacons there was on the board of trustees at the camp. And so in 1994, or during that summer, we were here and we were talking, and he knew how summers were for me. And he asked me, he said, is camp what you see you doing for the rest of your life? I said, I don't know. I love it. I love it. But I don't know that that's what I really need to be doing. And he said, well, would you consider being the full-time pastor of the church? And I'm like, I've never really thought about that. Let me pray about it. Let me put that to the Lord and see. In the back of my mind, I knew that I already, in my heart, knew that's what I needed to be. And so I think it was 1994, I resigned from camp and took Bruton Fork as full-time pastor. And I was there until 2000, to the year 2000. We celebrated Y2K as a church. <laughs> I remember the little 2000 confetti we were throwing around. And the world didn't shut down. <laughs> and it was so much fun, you know. So, so I was pastor there. It was a great experience being a pastor. I still felt called toward young people, but. And, and we, and that was entailed because we went to a church that had about, the first time I went there, we had seven people, or we had like 12, 13 people. And then at night we came back and we had seven. So that's where we started. Mm. And then we left there and we were averaging around 78 to 80 people. But uh, a lot of those were young people. My wife started driving a van, picking up kids, and bringing them. And it was just a great experience. And we're, But I began to deal with, some things in church in my life personally that I wasn't ready for. It was church politics. Mm -hmm. didn't, didn't like it. Didn't understand it. I began to go to the convention meetings and I was watching things happen on a global scale that I really didn't understand. And it was just, golly, what in the world's happening? You know? Yeah. And mm -hmm. when I was at Bruton Fork, one of the big challenges we had there, a couple of big challenges, one of the big ones, was I got to a place where I began to realize that we're out here in the country with a bunch of farmers. I could sit on the front porch while I'm doing my Bible study and wave at my neighbor going down the road on his tractor. You know what I'm saying? So it's like we're in a farm land. And on Sunday morning, I'm looking out and nobody in church has got a tie on but me. I'm up there with my suit and tie, my double-breasted suit, my tie that I'm having to spend three, $400 on. Well, I'm weighing 350 pounds. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm a big old boy. And I got to go to a special place to buy suits. And I'm like, this is, what am I doing? I'm up here like a daggone. I felt like I was a, a million dollar portrait just sit in the country. Mm. And it was doing nothing but sitting there. Nobody understood it. It didn't mean nothing to anybody. It was just sitting there going to waste because the people who really appreciated it wouldn't, you know, wasn't there. Mm. And so I'd heard a story or I'd, I went to a conference where this guy was talking about in his church, they're very casual, and that they just quit. They just threw the dress coat out and started inviting people. And I remember as a kid growing up with my granddaddy, who was my hero as a boy. He died when I 
right in the year I graduated college, high school. But my granddaddy got saved when he was 62 years old. And I remember our pastor making the comment that he'd go to my granddaddy and try to invite him to church. And my granddaddy said, I ain't got nothing but overalls. And the pastor said, if you wear overalls, I wear overalls to preach you. What the pastor told him. But anyway, my granddaddy ended up getting saved when he was like 61 or 62. He died like the, the next year. So, But I remember I used to go over there on Wednesday nights after church, and he played the banjo, singing old bluegrass songs. Just <laughs> before he was even saved. But after he got saved, he was over one night talking. And my granddaddy said, son, said, said, I said, I've searched for happiness for many, many years. He said, I never had true happiness until I found Jesus. Mm. He said, whatever y'all boys do, don't waste your life. Mm. I remember him saying that. It stuck in my my mind. How old um, were you when, when he told you that? That was probably when I was, that was probably when I was 17. That was leading okay. up to the conviction coming. The Lord was preparing my heart for all that because I was beginning to see things at a realer standpoint. And so that was the, the kicker. When I accepted the call to ministry, let me take you back there. When I come home that year, I guess it was 1992, 93, 93, I came home from summer camp that year. And, and my dad was like, son, I think you really called. And I got that letter. I've skipped this whole part. I apologize for that. I got that letter from North Greenwood, acceptance letter. And all I owed was as much money as I had in my pocket. Mm. Right then, I just cashed my check. I owed that much money. And I just enveloped it up and sent it to North Greenwood. So, I went to my granddaddy's grave up on Holiness Hill and I sat down by his grave, not because I thought he was there. I knew he's in heaven. I sat down by his grave and I said this to the Lord. I said, Lord, my granddaddy taught me a powerful lesson. Probably one of the few lessons that he taught me that were real and good. He taught me that he wasted his life and he asked me not to do that. I don't want to do that, Lord. I don't want to waste my life. So from this day forward, whatever I can do to serve you, I want to do that. When wow. I accepted the call to ministry, I sit at my granddaddy's grave. And that's where I made that prayer of commitment to, to, to surrender full-time to ministry. So anyway, where am I? I'm, I'm going to jump you back forward now to where we're, we're at this church, pastoring this church. And some cool things have happened. We've started having some revivals, people getting saved. Our, little, our small little church led our association and baptism for like a couple of years in a row because people were getting saved. And we were sharing the gospel. Listen, I overshare the gospel. I make sure they understand that it. it's not just about a prayer you say. It's about something you feel in your heart. It's got to be an experience that you know because nobody gets saved without Christ, without Jesus drawing, Holy Spirit drawing them to Jesus. Nobody comes to the Father without Christ drawing them in. So I know that there's a spiritual movement happening where Christ is is out there drawing people. But I also believe in my heart uh, that we've got a responsibility to share that gospel. So I've always shared the gospel because I don't ever want people to go through what I went through as a kid and be opposed to their life in their lifetime and not know who Christ is genuinely and have a relationship with him. Mm -hmm. So while I was at Bruton Fort, I got a uh, situation where a lady came to my office after a revival meeting. Reverend Paul No, preached revival at our church. And one night after the revival meeting, a lady came in my office and she said, Pastor, I mean, I got a problem. I got a dilemma. 
She said, when I was eight years old, I got baptized at my church as a kid. And I thought I meant it, but I'm not sure. She said, but I do know for certain tonight that I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I said, first of all, just know that I don't believe you can lose your salvation. So you need to know right now, if you believe tonight was the night that you got saved, the night tonight you got saved. She said, well, my question is not about that, because I know tonight I got saved. But do I need to be rebaptized? So I called my mentor pastor, Mari Simpson, who asked me numerous times before he ordained me in the ministry to share if I was sure that when I was a kid and I passed up numerous times to confess, I got saved when I was 18. I had many opportunities that I kept passing up, kept passing up. So here I am now, pastor of a church. I said, well, here's my problem, Maurice. I need to tell you something. I told him, I said, I, I should have told you. I said, I guess I was just embarrassed or my pride. I said, here I am. I'm still posing. I've been posing as a pastor. I'm trying to be Charles Stanley or Adrian Rogers. I'm still trying to be somebody that I'm not. And he told me, he said, you need to read Wild at Heart. And I said, okay, I'll read it. Let me, when I get a chance, I'll read it. So anyway, he said, well, yes, you do need to be baptized. So I called the chairman of Deacons of our church, which was Alan Evans. Okay. And I, I said, Alan, I said, I'm doing baptism service Sunday. He always, he would always come and fill the water up, put the heat in it and get it all ready. I said, Alan, we're doing baptism Sunday. He said, I know, I got you water ready. I said, well, you need to bring a change of clothes. He said, why? I said, because you got to baptize me first. And so, so that Sunday morning, I got up and told my story to the congregation that I was pastoring. And they gave me an ovation. And I went into baptism waters. I was baptized. And then I baptized five more people. So the Lord is doing work. And that lady was, and those people are still in church, still committed to the Lord. God done some great work mm. in my life during that period. I do some growing up. Well, let me ask you a question about the baptism. So what you were up against was the traditional belief that if you were baptized as a child or any time previously, that you weren't supposed to get baptized again. Is that what you're talking about? What I was up against was the belief that baptism is for believers. Right. A person who had believed had received Christ in the heart because it's a following up of baptism is a representation of I have died to myself. I'm burying my old life in the grave and I'm being resurrected that I will be in the future. I'll be resurrected a new person in Christ Jesus. That's right. what baptism represents. That's what the Bible teaches about baptism. And so that's why I believe that I had to be rebaptized because I had never been baptized as a believer. Being baptized as a kid is just getting wet. And I know right. that's a hard say for some people, but right. it's we don't live about what we feel nor about what some theologian came up with. We live about what the Bible teaches. And I know this, that there's one right interpretation of the Bible, and that's God's interpretation through the Holy Spirit. And man, there's a lot of people out there today that do infant baptisms even, that they still will do submersion baptism as an adult. If you come back later on and say, hey, I need to be baptized. 
I won't mention any names, but I know some good, great pastors that practice submersion baptism because later on people come back who are in their denomination that say, hey, I've got to be baptized because right. the Bible is true. We're living by the Bible and God's word. And, and when the Bible says baptize them, the word baptism means to take under. You know what I'm saying? Okay, now I know what you mean because my parents had me sprinkled as a baby in the Methodist church thinking that would keep me out of hell. But but it wasn't my free will decision. You know, I was just a baby. So many years later, after I was actually born again, I asked my Presbyterian pastor about getting baptized, and he said something like, it would be an act of unbelief to get baptized again. But the opposite was true. I needed to get baptized as a true believer because that fire insurance my parents had gotten for me wasn't wasn't biblical because I was just a baby. I didn't make that decision. So later on, I did get submerged. About 20 years ago, I got submerged uh, by a non-denominational pastor at a, at a YMCA swimming pool uh, to testify to my belief. And it was the right thing to do because then I was a believing believer. <laughs> so I I think that's something like what you were doing. When Jesus was baptized, John the Baptist baptized him. It was a representation of, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to be resurrected. John the Baptist knew what baptism meant. He knew who Christ was. He knew he was going to be killed. He knew he was going to be buried. He knew he was going to resurrect. Because the scriptures in the Old Testament tell us he's coming back. Right. He's going to read three days in the grave. Jesus kept pro pro prophesying that whole time, I'm going to be dead, buried, resurrected. In three days, I'll come back. Tear this temple down. He wasn't talking about the big temple. He was talking about this temple. The body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Tear yeah. it down three days, I'm coming back. The Bible teaches me that when I am absent, when I'm dead in the flesh, when I'm absent from the body, I am present with the Lord. Just like that, I'll be with God. So anyway, that's why we went through the baptism. That was why that experience is impactful for me today. Mm. I have not lost my fire and my zeal to do exactly what I did that day and to share Jesus. Man, I get a chance to share Jesus, I'm going to do it. You mm. give me an opportunity. You give me a person. I've learned some of the things I've learned growing up. I went through a thing called Experiencing God through Henry Blackaby. Great yeah. study. And people like and they dislike you. I don't care. For me, the Lord uses all kinds of tools to, to train us and equip us and prepare us for the work of the ministry. But in there is where I began to realize that there were some things in my life that wasn't right. Uh, uh, that wasn't right. The book Wild at Heart by John Eldridge, great book. Uh, I read it. All of a sudden, I began to realize that I was a poser. There was a lot of things I was doing in my life that didn't that wasn't adding up to what God had called me to do. Still, I was trying to be somebody else's ministry instead of being who I am. Right. God didn't call yeah. this polished, clean-cut, finished guy. He called no redneck hillbilly <laughs> out of the mountains to come and preach the gospel to people who would look at him and say, man, you ain't nothing but a simple-minded hillbilly. That's okay. Who were the <laughs> disciples? You know what I'm saying? Why do I need, why does God need me to be somebody he's already got when he don't have anybody like me? So I need to be me. So I began to try to be me. And I brought all that up. That long story, I don't know. To bring you to this point, one of the issues we had at the church was I stopped wearing a suit and tie. Mm. 
I just wore a casual shirt, maybe a t-shirt. Now it was clean. I was like a bum. I didn't go up there dressed like a, a junkie, you know. I went in there like a, 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 a regular guy. Sometimes I wear blue jeans, you know what I'm saying? And so I knew I didn't want to take it too far, but I tried to, I just tried to be casual. And I led the church to understand that people can come. You do not. I had church members saying to people, well, if you need a suit, I'll go buy you one, which is pretty nice. They couldn't go buy them a suit. But they didn't need a suit. They didn't need to go buy them a suit to come to church. And so that was one of the 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 rough areas of that ministry at that church. Uh, they couldn't, they didn't, they didn't like the fact that I was not willing to, that I didn't want to wear a tie. I could, I was willing. Anytime we did a wedding or a funeral, I'd wear a tie anytime. But I just wanted to share the gospel as I was. Right. I wanted to preach the word and teach the word as I was. They wanted right. distraction. And I understood that on the mission field that all missionaries have to understand, as Paul says, there's sometimes you got to become all things to all people. Mm. And Jesus said, I ain't come to heal the ones that are well. I come to heal the sick. The yeah. sick aren't going out to buy a suit to come to church. The sick, sick are far from God. They're not going to, they don't, they don't care if I got a tie on or not. Matter of fact, they're going to feel better if I don't. Right. So that was my point of, the message I was trying to get across was that I'm here for the lost. Mm. And the lost don't care about the things of God. The lost don't care about our steeples. They don't care about the new paint on the walls, the walkways, the crosses sitting all around our buildings. They don't care about none of that. What they want to know is, what is it about your life that's different than my life? Right. And so that was where I began to grow as a Christian for the first time, really grow. I began to realize that I had to start taking some real steps toward maturity. I ended up going from there, from Route 4, going back into student ministry, student education, because I wanted to I wanted to try to get Sunday schools and, and different Sunday schools in the Baptist church. Uh, most of the traditional churches have a Sunday school department. And so I was an education pastor. I wanted to try to guide Sunday schools into a place where we begin to, to have Bible studies other than what was bringing through Sunday school quarterly right. in the small group type stuff finding ways to mentor people and, and making sure our curriculum was Bible-based, not some kind of curriculum that tells a story and adds a Bible verse to it. I wanted it to be a curriculum that, that taught the Bible. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And so I want them to hear the Word of God. I had a situation once at a church I was at where a lady there at the church who worked at the church, when you had a conversation with her, you could tell her spiritual depth was kind of shallow. She was very committed, very dedicated, tithes, attends church every week. But if you have a spiritual conversation, it wasn't very deep. It was very shallow and, and very worldly, kind of a worldly, well, you know, I watch such and such on TV, and, and this is what they say, and I kind of agree with that. And I'm like, that's totally wrong. That's totally wrong. So anyway, we had a program called Awana that we started, and the Awana has this thing called a listening room. And every kid memorizes Bible verses every week. And they would come, you had adults sitting at these tables in the listening room. And these kids would one-on-one -on -one come to that listening room and quote that Bible verse, scripture and verse, one after the other, over and over again, year after year, that lady sit in my listening room and heard kids quote the Bible. Mm. And years later, when that church went through a big traumatic, experience 
that lady was one of the spiritual leaders in that church because she didn't let them deviate from God's word. She didn't let them, you can go to her right now, throw out a, a, some false ideology that sounds good, and she'd laugh at you because she knows God's word because she got a hunger for God's word. And, and I'm telling you, faith comes back here. And, and, and the only way to please God, it takes faith. You want to obey God. You want to do what God wants you to do. You got to have faith. You got to be willing to move forward. And the only way you're going to move forward is faith. And the only way you're going to have faith is to trust God's word and to realize that God's word's already covered this. <laughs> right. That nothing we're facing is it, caught God off guard. You know what I'm saying? Everything that we face in life, no matter how modern we think we are, no matter how great technology is, and no matter how, what was the word they used on the news the other night? A progressive. No matter how progressive we think we're getting, God's word, as old as time, is still relevant and alive, and it still changes lives today. Man, that and is, so that's an awesome point. Yeah. So we follow that story. I leave. I go from there to a Calvary Baptist Church in Augusta, and I stayed there for a couple years. It was kind of a stopover because my next journey was Jackson First Baptist Church in Jackson, Georgia. And we left Calvary to go to Jackson. And at Jackson, we we encountered a great experience there, just a great pastor. And we got there who was all about discipleship. And he, he actually does a thing called, he had a ministry called Renewing the Right Spirit, and which is based on, he was part of the Henry Blackaby videos. Him and his wife are sitting in the videos. Okay. If you ever buy the video series of that series. And so he was big into that, part of that link up. So that was kind of a help to begin to realize that God's at work around us at all times and to see God at work, learn those markers. And God called me to ministry. There's specific things that God used in my life. First of all, when he got, got my attention, he got my attention by showing me when I was lost, that I was lost, that I needed a savior. And I'll never forget how he did that through testimony, through realizing in my own spirit where I was and understanding that what God's trying to do. And that's why I got saved. Then when he called me into ministry, realizing in ministry what was going on around me in my circumstances, but also realizing that what I was experiencing in my own life through God's word was guiding me to go preach and teach the word of God. Right. And so step for step, I began to realize how God was speaking to my heart, how God speaks in my life. It's not an audible word that I hear. It's not a dog talking or a donkey talking. It's a spiritual movement inside of me. It's a reckoning from here I am and here's where I need to be. And I got to do this to this to get there. And this is, but why do I need to get there? And that's where I begin to realize. It's like, I know I'm not saved. I know I need to be saved. And this is where I need to be over here, but here I am. And so what do I need to do to get there? And so God leading me through that journey in that next few minutes to accept him as my Lord and Savior. God leading me through that journey. Here I am not in ministry. Here I need to be in ministry. Well, I need to get there. Understanding the surrender, the total surrender of my life, my everything, my trust that God financially would handle me, take care of me that I didn't have to worry about money anymore in my life. You know what I'm saying? Never do I have to worry about money again. And I'm not rich, but I've never had any time we were at a, we were at the bottom. There may be a need. You, I know you wanted me to share a story or two from experience of struggles. Let me give you this one. 
when my daughter Hannah was born, my wife decided to take a year off of teaching. Listen, I'm pastor at Brutenfort Church, Baptist Church, and they're paying me about $18,000, $19,000 a year. All right? Hannah makes our pork chop, okay? So we got three kids already, and we got another one coming. And my wife, who is making a lot more money than I'm making, is teaching school, is taking a year off. And we trust in that God's going to take care of us. I remember going through that year, and I got up one Sunday. I said, what do you want to do for lunch today? And she said, I don't know. And I said, well, let's see what we got in the cabinet. I opened up the cabinet. We had a couple cans of soup. I opened up the freezer. There was no meat. Refrigerator had a couple little things. Had some milk for breakfast, you know, a little bit. But we were, we were strapped. Financially, at that moment right there, we had nothing really to eat, substantial, but a few little things which was no big deal to us. And we had no income because we just paid all our bills to go get money. And I said, well, after church, we'll just make do what we got. The Lord will provide. After church, a lady in our church, her and her husband owned a grocery store in Bennettsville. Her dad worked with her at that grocery store. They rotated, they rotated stock that morning, on Sunday morning. They had to do it once a year. They had to rotate once every so often. They had to rotate stop. They backed up to my front door and unloaded crate after crate <laughs> after crate. Fresh milk, orange juice, cereal, foods, all these meats. We, my wife and I, literally went up and down the road giving people food that morning after mm. the afternoon that they had brought to our house, delivered milk. We knew we couldn't make all that milk. But that day, we had enough food to sustain us for probably two, three months. A and great so, story. so that was, that's the story how God has taken care of that. And all my life, God has taken care of that. We need to come back to another. What we need to do is come back to another podcast where I just share some highlights of ministry. Yeah, I'd like to. And, and I'll just come back and share some stories because I got some funny, funny stories, some great highlights how God's word. It'd be very emotional. But it'd be a good yeah. story. So let me move yeah, on to move us on to Jackson because faith was what I was getting out there. That faith that my wife had, she's always had great faith. And I have I have learned her faith over the years. And and her faith is a push for me to keep moving on, keep working hard, and keep finding ways to to do what God wants me to do. So go to Jackson. We served in Jackson four years. The same children and education. There we saw God do some great work. We re, we revamped their committee structure and made it teams, more of a team structure. And everybody's like, well, we got to call them teams. Well, we don't have to. But the thing about a committee is you got a set committee, but a team is anybody who wants to be a part of the team. I said, so if you're on a benevolence team and your job is to take care of people when there's bereavement, benevolence, take care of anything the church does food-wise, to taking care of ministry need, then you need more than three or four people on the team. So y'all need a big team. They need about, I think, 16 or 17 people at one time. I believe that's true. So anyway, they say all these people on the team. And, and we fixed all the teams so they could increase their numbers if they needed to. And try to use the teams. Instead of doing so much of the capital improvement campaign stuff, just use your team already built in. And then use that same concept and go forward. You already got people doing the work. Why go out and get a whole new group and get them involved? Instead, utilize your teams. 
and let mm. your teams grow. If they need to grow, let them grow to fit the need. And so anyway, we were able to do that. And I saw a lot of people accept Christ there. We left that to go to, to Myrtle Beach. Took a job there at Beach Church. I was confronted with probably one of the biggest dilemmas. Uh, I was actually told by a pastor there at the church that I didn't fit at the beach, that that I was a redneck country boy, and I didn't really belong there. The pastor told me that. And the truth is, I think he wanted my salary back because I was hired before he came, mm. and I was getting a real pretty substantial salary for my position, for what he needed. And he ended up putting like, part-time people in the position I had and then using that money to hire uh, somebody to come in and do the small groups, lead small groups. Probably smart on that point. He didn't have to break me down. The breakdown was humbling for me, though. I needed it. It was hurtful. Brought out a lot of emotions. And some of that redneck carnal pride was, he, he called it out. I almost showed him. It was like crazy. But he and I, we ended up, and it's one of those things where the Holy Spirit, through his conviction, wouldn't just let you walk away from it. He continued to bring us, me and him, back together to, to forgive each other and to, well, I was getting angry too. I was saying things about him. I shouldn't have said, I would never say that about a, a lead pastor of a church. Here I am now. I'm angry now. I'm letting my flesh win mm. and because I'm angry and I didn't feel like I was being disciplined. So anyway, I just resigned. Didn't have a job. I just resigned. And out of frustration, out of feeling unwanted, just resigned. <clears throat> it was a church that had over 80-something volunteers in my department. 200-something uh, kids every week. Um, my pride is probably why I went there. I probably should have never left Jackson. I'm second-guessing some of that because I didn't really have that marker to go, but I saw the opportunity to go and went. And uh, instead of cleaning up some mess that I had in Jackson, I just walked. I, I just kind of said, well, it's not my place to fix that. and walked away from it. I'm a peacemaker. My mm -hmm. job is to make peace. And when I try to make peace and don't make, I, I need to find another way, find a way to do it. And, and, and there's one situation when I left Jackson that I had opportunity to make peace between some people and I didn't finish it. And the pastor said, I'm not doing that. I said, fine. And I took the job and left. Mm -hmm. Ended up, and the pastor ended up having to leave the church and within the next year or so. Big split in the church. Big all the work we'd done so good was just all up in arms. They recovered because, like I said, that lady, people like that lady. There was a lot of other people in that. There were leaders in that church. People didn't know who they were leaders. Were in them listening rooms. And a lot of those people have led that church and still leading that church today. Wow! But they recovered. They did well, and that pastor has recovered and gone on. And I think he finally retired. But but it was just. When you know what you need to do, when you, the Bible says, when you know what's right to do and you don't do it, it's a sin. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So anytime we know what's the right thing to do, the right thing to say, the right way to respond, we need to do it. Right. And that was a situation where I didn't complete that. I just, I felt like, well, this guy, he, he, he knows what's going on, needs to be doing. And so I left. And it kind of left the church in the lurch because even today, right now, right now, if that church called me and said, hey, would you be willing to come? If I knew the Lord, if I, if I saw no blocks in my way, 
I knew it was an open door for me to go back down and serve, I would be there in a heartbeat. And uh, probably when I when Claire retires teaching, there's a chance we may end up moving. Other, the only problem will be our grandkids. They're right here with us. But we yeah. may end up moving to Jackson just to finish our life out, you know. But a lot of our friends are still in Jackson. Mm. I mean, a lot of a lot of my wife's friends I know are in Jackson. She's doing a women's retreat this weekend. She's there right now with the women from that church. Wow. And That's a lady great. from that church helps her do all those ministry weekends and that's a whole different story but so we're gonna we're gonna have to start wrapping it up because i want to try to keep it keep it down to the podcast itself down to about an hour or so but i would like to well unless you got something else you want to add let me close with this let me close with this yeah yeah good we in myrtle beach is where i kind of semi-retired I decided we went to Palmetto Shores there. Then we went, we planted a church called The Hub. We tried a church plant, and I'm not, I'm not a church planner. That wasn't my call. I don't know why I did that either, but a couple of things I've done, I probably shouldn't have, but, but it was a fun experience. And, and listen, my kids and my wife will tell you that, we, that they loved it. We had a great time there. So what I saw was a failure because, I guess, again, that I guess I had this thing about me about posing. I, I wanted to be like everybody else to plant a church. Mm-hmm. So maybe God wanted us to stay there for those four years to do what we did and accomplish what we did because those people are still in church. Still, I still watch them on Facebook. They're still serving the Lord in different churches. So maybe they needed a little bit of what we had. We came, we came to Woodruff from the beach and we moved here. I took a job as a facility manager at a plant and now I'm in my own business, but we joined a church called The Mill and a church at The Mill and we served there. My wife's a counselor. We have served in a small group. We've taught Sunday school for the youth there. And right now I do one of my other loves is cooking. I cook Zaxby's chicken fingers on Wednesday nights. <laughs> Twelve to fourteen hundred chicken fingers every Wednesday night during during the year program. Wow. And any opportunity we get to share the Lord, we do it. Well that you've had a long uh, career doing a various ministries and you've learned a lot along the way i know it's this is going to be a tough question and it's going to be hard to narrow things down but i'm wondering if there was just one bit of advice that you could pass along to people out there in the and never never in podcast land you know maybe somebody might be listening to this a hundred years from now who knows but uh, what what one eternal truth would you pass along to to somebody that might be listening today galatians 2 20 i am crucified with christ it's no longer i live but christ that lives in me the life i live now in the flesh i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me that's my life verse and what i'm saying by that verse bully gave me that verse when i went to work at camp pine hill but what that what i've learned i learned from that verse every every day but that's my verse to not be opposing. The mm. life I live is the life God called me to. My life that I wanted to live is dead and gone. I need to live the life that God called me to. And he called me. I need to be original. I need to be me. I need to be myself. I need to be the Christian that God called me to be. Don't try to be somebody else as a Christian. Follow their example. Live through their mistakes. Uh, learn from their mistakes and not make the same ones. But be you. Be you. Christ has called you 
into the ministry. Your personality is distinct. Your fingerprint is your own fingerprint. Your spiritual fingerprint is just the same. It's going to mean the same thing. Nobody else's story is going to be like mine. And I shouldn't try to make mine like somebody else's. That's mm. what I've learned. So that's what I would say to anybody. Be yourself. Be who Christ makes you to be. Let Christ develop you. Don't try to look at, well, I want to be like these people over here. I want to be like that out there. Preachers, when I went to this church, Bruton Fork, they said, well, Bruton Fork is a stepping stone church. I said, that's got to stop. Mm. God don't need no stepping stone churches. <laughs> God needs so many <laughs> gospel preaching churches that do the work. Every little church, I learned this in Cyprus, every little church, we need every church in every community if we're going to win the people for Christ. Mm. We're losing the world. There's more lost people in the world than there is saved people. Right. There's more lost people in this town, Woodruff, than there is saved people. And there's 10,000 more coming in the next two years. So yeah. we're losing the battle for the lost souls and they're ours they don't belong to satan they belong mm -hmm. to god we just mm -hmm. got to go out and live christ be real if you make a mistake now i make tons of mistakes i'm the mistake maker like i said i'm a rebel hillbilly redneck from marietta south carolina and i am that rebel but mm -hmm. i am who i am when i make those mistakes i go fix them i go repent ask forgiveness Step forward, move to the next level. Because I'm going to, I'm not perfect. And I have to own it. When the Holy Spirit said, hey, you should have said, as soon as you sense the Holy Spirit said, you shouldn't have done that. Go fix it right then. Don't wait. Go try to correct it right then. Right, right. Well, wow. This has been great. We do need to do another one in the in the future. I want, I'd love to do uh, one of some of my funny stories and some of our, some of our faith moments. Well, would you pray for pray for our listeners right now? I will, buddy. I'll wrap pray. Things up. Let's do it. Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you, God, for all that you do in our lives. Lord, I just thank you that you know us, and you know us before we even think things. You already know we're going to think. That's how awesome you are. So, Lord, we ask you, first of all, just to forgive us for our sins. Lord, I want you to, to convict the hearts of all people who are listening to this, that they know that they can receive forgiveness anything they've done. All they got to do is ask because you already know in advance they're going to do it. God. And so you, you you love us enough that you died on the cross to give us a chance to be washed clean by your blood of all the sin that's in our life before Christ, before we became Christians, and even after we become Christians. Your blood cleanses us of all sin, and we thank you for that. And God, I pray for the listener right now that they will hear this, God, in, in some way. Lord, not, don't, don't hear this, old boy. Let them hear your word in me. Let them hear your spirit. And your spirit, take my words and, and, and translate them into their hearts that their life can be made different. They will be made stronger. And God, I pray that they'll have they'll desire to walk with you that's real and personal. And their life will be turned upside down from this day forward. And they'll find so much joy and peace in serving you that they'll never understand and be able to explain it. And we love you, God. And we praise you for what you're going to do. And I thank you for this opportunity to share this word. It can last now until you come again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Keith. I appreciate your taking the time to do this. It means a, it means a lot, not just to me, but I'm sure to a lot of people that are going to hear it. So. Well, I appreciate you guys, man. I appreciate y'all praying for me when I was going through all my stuff with my knee and uh, all the stuff that you did for me. I appreciate y'all.
We hope you've been blessed by today's story. In case you haven't noticed, there are no advertisements on this podcast, and we hope to keep it that way. So if you've heard something that you think could help someone you know, please share it using the link in the show notes. Also, if you will give Faith and Purpose a positive review on your podcast platform, you could help more people find it. You will probably never know how that small effort can make a big difference in someone's life, but our Heavenly Father knows. Speaking of sharing, if you know a Jesus follower with a story to tell, please send them a link to Faith and Purpose podcast. It may encourage them to tell their story. That person may even be you. Our only criteria is that Jesus be glorified. Most Christians don't share their faith because they mistakenly think their story is not interesting enough or that it's self-centered to talk about themselves or that they are not competent to explain the gospel correctly. But none of that is relevant. If Jesus has changed your life, you have a story to tell. All of our stories are completely unique. No one has a story like yours and you may be the only one who can reach someone else through telling your experience. All of our stories are completely unique. No one has a story like yours, and you may be the only one who can reach someone else through telling your experience. So don't be intimidated. A story is just that, a true account of your own experience, and no one can disagree with your experience. When we tell what Jesus has done in our lives, we are being obedient to his command to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's not about theology, and it's not about how interesting or special you are. It's all about Jesus. So when you're ready to tell how Jesus has impacted your life, you can let Jesse know at his ministry website, jessieduke.net. There you can download guidelines that will make it easy to prepare to tell your story. Thank you for listening today, and shalom. Shalom.